And turn your Bibles, please, to Revelation chapter 11. We'll begin to read with verse 7 in a series where I'm called Strength for Today, Hope for Tomorrow. Revelation chapter 11, verse 7. And when they, that is the two witnesses or the church, have finished their testimony, the beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war on them and conquer them and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city that symbolically is called Sodom and Egypt, where their Lord was crucified. For three and a half days, some from the peoples and tribes and languages and nations will gaze at their dead bodies and refuse to let them be placed in a tomb. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and make merry and exchange presents because these two prophets had been a torment to those who dwell on the earth. But after the three and a half days, a breath of life from God entered them and they stood upon their feet and great fear fell on those who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying, come up here. And they went up uh, to heaven in a cloud and their enemies watched them. And at that hour, there was a great earthquake and a tenth of the city fell. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe has passed. Behold, the third woe is soon to come. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of this, the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders who sat on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged. And for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. And enjoy me, the grass withers, the flowers fade. But the word of our God will stand forever. All right, let's pray. Father, we're so grateful to you for uh, your word, that it's certain, that it is true. Father, today we need your Holy Spirit's help to grasp what you're saying to your church. Uh, Father, uh, that we might live it out, Father. We might be a people of great joy because of your son, Jesus Christ. So work by your spirit in us, we pray. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. 21 years ago today, we got a huge reminder uh, about something we often try to ignore, and that is the vulnerabilities of the kingdoms of this world. New York City, our nation's economic powerhouse, the Twin Towers came down. Uh, likewise, our symbol of military strength, the Pentagon, was attacked. And the White House, uh, symbol of our freedom, our political power, was a target only to be saved. Uh, by the intervention of those who sacrificed on Flight 93. Muslim terrorists loyal to Allah made an unprecedented attack on the United States. And the sudden death of so many people at one time reminds us that sin has placed us in a, a, a fallen world. Uh, and it's a very dangerous place in which to live. So the success of the attack brought two different global reactions. One was of mourning at the loss of so many lives. 
and in many ways our, our way of living. Uh, the other, though, was one of celebration. Uh, people around the world who rejoiced at the devastation that took place in our nation uh, uh, was there. And so uh, what happened on that day that we'll live in infamy is really simply one of history's foreshadowings of the day we're talking about today. Uh, a day when the world celebrates uh, what they perceive as the death of the church, uh, the day that the kingdoms of this world uh, cease to have opposition. Now, we've seen it before. We saw it on the day that, that Christ was crucified and the world rejoiced and Satan celebrated. Psalm 2, uh, opposition seemed to win. But then, then came the resurrection, uh, the greatest victory in world history. Again, in a prelude to what happens today. And that's why we celebrate Easter in September. And what a celebration. A celebration of the good times. So, yes, come on, let's go to the text. All right. Uh, and now I'll know who knows the song and who doesn't. All right. Well, let's review for just a moment. We saw last week in verses 1 and 2, uh, two great realities. One, the church is spiritually secure. That's what the measure is about in verse 1. Uh, and then second, though, we face persecution. That's what the trampling is about there in verse 2. Then we saw that these uh, two witnesses represent the church. And the church bears witness to Jesus Christ. And when the church completes its task, which is incredibly encouraging to us, by the way, in the face of such great persecution of the church, uh, the beast who's been released from the abyss wars against the church. And so we left last week with a cliffhanger. The church is left for dead. So we begin this week with a question. Is it really the death of the church? We'll pick it up in verse 8. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city that symbolically is called Sodom and Egypt, where their Lord was crucified. For three and a half days, some from the peoples and tribes and languages and nations will gaze at their dead bodies and refuse to let them be placed in a tomb. Now you need to know that to not be buried immediately in the first century was a sign of disgrace, of humiliation. And so their refusal to allow these bodies to be buried uh, is, is to show the world's disrespect for the church. And we're told the bodies, and actually literally the first time is just body, which tells us why we say this is the church, body singular. Uh, they're lying in the streets of the great city. Now, some people immediately take this to be Jerusalem, given the statement that the Lord was crucified there. Uh, and uh, we know that uh, uh, in the, uh, remember, we saw the holy city last week is always the new Jerusalem in Revelation, no longer the earthly Jerusalem. Uh, and since God's no longer present in the temple in Jerusalem, he's now resident in the church by his Holy Spirit, uh, then in fact Jerusalem becomes just like every other city of the world. In Revelation, the great city refers to all the cities of the world. Spiritually, it's called Sodom, the city that rejects the very designation of male and female. It's called Egypt, a nation that holds captive the people of God and treats them with great contempt. 
Again, we'll soon see Babylon is that city, and certainly Rome is implied. Uh, But all the references point to the great city as being the whole world of unbelievers. And notice the gazing here. It's peoples, tribes, languages, nations, all gazing at the bodies. A worldwide event as the global church is thought to be exterminated. Just let me remind you that we are the church. The church is made up of sinful people. And we would be part of this great city were it not for the grace of God. All right. So the world celebrates. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and make merry and exchange presents. Because these two prophets have been a torment to those who dwell on the earth. Again, they think it's the demise of the church. And it's a sadistic celebration that shows the depth of human depravity. As the world mourns the death of Queen Elizabeth, who was, by the way, a devout Christian, a strong believer, uh, keep in mind the world can be full of hate. I don't know if you saw what a professor at Carnegie Mellon University said about the Queen's dying, but her Twitter comments were about as despicable and hateful as any human being can possibly be. Even Jeff Bezos was taken back by what she said. The only part I'll quote you is she said, may her pain be excruciating. Here in Revelation, it's like that whole, the whole world is like that professor. They're having a party to celebrate death. They're exchanging presents. And why is that? As we said last week, they were tormented by the message of the gospel. Tormented by the claim that there's a creator God. That there is truth and accountability. That there is sin. And that there's a Savior, Jesus Christ. They want nothing to do with that message. They think, it's, they think now it's been silenced. And so they celebrate. Yeah, 9-11 is just a prelude. And what that professor says, it's just a taste of the world. Those who dwell on the earth are those who have made the earth their home. Not in the New Jerusalem, not in the Holy City. And the world thinks whenever they silence the message of the gospel that they've won. Think about North Korea today. Think about China today. Think about Iran. They think they're winning. But if you recall, the Chinese thought they had silenced the church back in the 1950s. Only to discover half a century later that the church was more alive than ever. And now suddenly, after three and a half days, again, after a limited period of time, we have resurrection. Verse 11. But after those three and a half days, a breath of life from God entered them. And they stood up on their feet, and great fear fell on those who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies watched them. To that hour there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake, and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. We have here a clear reference to Ezekiel 37. There you recall the prophet is taken to a valley that's full of dry, dead human bones. And he's told to start preaching. 
And so as he preaches to that crowd, the bones get up and they get tendons and they get arteries and vessels and muscles and, and skin. But they do not get life until he prays and the spirit of life enters in them and they stand up alive. The spirit of God breathes into them. Now here's the church, the witnesses, and they're on their feet. And like an Ezekiel, against all human odds, uh, against all medical knowledge, like Lazarus, and like Jesus himself, they come to life as the Spirit of God breathes life into them. And suddenly the tables are turned, and in human history, as we know, it's turned on end. The church is very much alive. The world looks on with terror at that point, because they now realize... They have been wronged. And as they look on, a voice calls out, come up here. And the church is taken up. If you will, this is the rapture. It's not a secret. The whole world sees it happening. Uh, like Elijah in the chariot, uh, up to the New Jerusalem they go. Like Jesus in the clouds. And at the same time, there's an earthquake. And it reveals the wrath of God towards sin. Now, we've seen this earthquake once. We saw it back with the sixth seal. We'll see it again uh, with the bowls when they're coming up. Uh, it's the earthquake that clears out everything to make room for the new Jerusalem that's coming. As this earth will be destroyed beyond, beyond the wildest imagination of the Greta Thunbergs of the world. All right? Uh, to get across that devastation... We're told that one-tenth of the world's population dies, uh, or of the city dies, right? And 7,000 from the earthquake. Now, why did John choose those numbers? Well, you remember that from the Old Testament. Amos prophesies God's judgment on Israel uh, and says only one-tenth will survive. Elijah is told by God that there are 7,000 in the northern kingdom who have yet to bow their knee to Baal and truly worship God. Now those numbers are reversed in the sense that uh, that's the numbers of death. Uh, and they're it, it's simply to give a, a hint of the devastation that's coming. In fact, when that earthquake does take place with the bowls, we'll see total destruction of the earth. But remember Revelation this book is, is given to John to give assurance to the church. And if, if you can see, there's more pages after chapter 11, so the story can't end yet, all right? Uh, more to come in the chapters that will give us strength for today and hope for tomorrow. And so we, we have it expressed in those limited terms here, but there's more information to come later on. Now, as for their giving glory to God, it's, uh, it's not a statement of faith, not at all. It's like being forced to say uncle in a, in a wrestling match. That is, as a, as a grudging acknowledgement that they did not want to give. And hence, we saw with the seals, they called on the mountains to cover them up. Um, this is what's described in Philippians 2. Every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Uh, believers will do that willingly and with great joy. But unbelievers will only grudgingly and with great contempt and hatred drop to their knees. I say to you that the world's celebration 
The world's party is short-lived. Yet so many want to join it. The world's party looks so attractive. It looks like so much fun. The world's party seduces people under false pretenses. And I warn you, do not buy what they're selling. Young people, the world's party is trying to seduce you. It's telling you this church thing is just silly. It's a waste of your time and a waste of your life. Friends, that's the line that basically Satan gave to Adam and Eve. And they fell for it. As have countless millions, even billions ever since. We need to have the terror described here burned into our vision, into our hearts and minds, so that we run. We run from the world's seduction. And we run to the glory that's also revealed here in Revelation. We run hard. The second woe has passed. Behold, the third woe is soon to come. And so the seventh trumpet sounds. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sat on the thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged, and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth." All right, the seventh angel blows his trumpet that declares that our prayer, thy kingdom come, has been answered. Uh, This is the moment of triumph. God's invitation is now to celebrate the good times. Loud voices. Uh, We're not told if they're the angels, if this is the people of God around the throne, or simply the 24 elders, which some people think. Uh, But I suspect it's everybody. They sing out that the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ. And friends, there's never, ever been a party like there's going to be. God's no longer, by the way, you see in what the elders said, He's no longer described as the one who was, uh, rather, who is to come, because He's already come. All right? God's established His Son on the throne in Zion. And the nations rage to be sure. The nations protest. They probably even file lawsuits, I would imagine. But it's to no avail. The Supreme Court can't overturn this. All right? The trumpets announcing the kingdom. That's also the third woe. God's judgment. God's wrath are poured out. Not a lot of details given. We'll get more as we work our way through Revelation. But make no mistake, judgment comes. God's eternal reign begins. And so we sing joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. And so the kingdom of this world, the kingdom that Satan offered Jesus as he began his public ministry, if if, if only he would bow down before Satan, thereby avoiding the cross, Uh, that kingdom has now become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. Then notice he, singular, will reign. 
There's a oneness in the triune God and he'll reign forever. And friends, that's the message of Revelation. John's readers face great persecution at this time under the uh, Roman emperor Domitian. They need help. John comes and, and with Revelation gives perspective. Domitian's reign will not last long. Nor will the reign of any other earthly emperor. Not the reign of Gorbachev or Putin. Not the reign of Reagan or Biden. Not even the reign of 70 years of Queen Elizabeth. But the reign of our God lasts forever and ever. No power can overthrow the rule. When life seems to be coming apart. When the trials and the heartaches seem overwhelming. And at times they do. Remember, he will reign forever and ever. Uh, the evil, the suffering, the trials of this life will not last under his eternal reign. Then God's temple in heaven was opened. And the ark of the covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. So we see the ark of the covenant. God's covenant of grace has been fulfilled. God's eternal plans being carried out. God's announcement to Adam and Eve that Jesus would crush the head of the serpent has come to pass. The promise to Abraham that through him all the nations on earth would be blessed through his descendants been fulfilled. This flashback to Mount Sinai is a reminder of the glory of God. It's a declaration also of God's wrath for unbelievers. The lightning, the thunder, the earthquake, the hail. God's judgment being poured out. Friends, this is the third woe that's proclaimed with the sounding of the seven trumpets. But opposed to that woe, now all the promises of God across the centuries have been carried out. The true son of David reigns. The ultimate promise that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea, that takes place. That's the reality. Why? Very simply, the life, the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of King Jesus. So what about us? Again, earlier we prayed, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That prayer means we want Jesus' reign to be acknowledged on earth by more and more people. It also reminds us there's still ongoing a Psalm 2 opposition to Jesus. But the message that Revelation gives us is that opposition will one day be crushed. And until that day, until the seventh trumpet blows, we're engaged in a spiritual battle. But again, it's only half a seven. It's a, a limited time. But that day will come when the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more. And the last enemy of God will be defeated. Now here's the thing. If you reject Christ's reign now, then you are rejected for all eternity. Let me plainly ask you, which celebration are you part of today? The temporary one celebrating the death of the church or the eternal celebration that begins with the verses that we read? 
You know, we sang earlier, let every heart prepare him room. We do that when we admit our sin and we turn from that sin and turn to Christ. We ask his forgiveness and we seek to live for his glory, not our own. And if you've not yet done that, why not today? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And if we're indeed believers, then we're part of an eternal celebration. May I suggest that, that we can begin to enjoy that triumph right now? Good times are coming. We celebrate in anticipation of the day when every believer's last tear is wiped dry. And to be sure, that trumpet's not yet sounded, but it will. And yes, now we face struggles, we face heartache, we face temptations. And so we do need strength for today. We need hope for tomorrow. That's why Revelation goes to such lengths to show us that Jesus reigns now. And he gives us strength, whatever it is, the battle that we're fighting. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. Right now the king reigns, and one day that kingdom reign will be known all over the world. His kingdom will one day come in all its glory. What a party that's going to be, and we're going to celebrate. So I want the choir to be come up now, if you would. And if you have sung the Hallelujah Chorus with a choir before you want to join them, you are welcome to do so. But as they come, I want you to look at the words in your bulletin about what we're about to sing. As a congregation, we're invited to, uh, to join in as well uh, where we can. If you're like me, you've sung this before, not in a choir, but in the car, perhaps all alone, in the shower. I'm not sure. Um, but uh, look at the words. For the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Hallelujah. The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. King of kings and Lord of lords forever and ever. Hallelujah. And there's no better way to declare that hope than with singing. Uh, you know, Revelation's already given us several great hymns. And God gives us the, the gift of music and singing to help worship Him, to bring our hearts and minds together, uh, to grasp uh, his, his glory, His dominion, His power, uh, His love, to express our praise. And so we're going to join our voices with all the voices. We've seen before already, when we sing, we sing with those who are in heaven. We sing with those around the world. That's the mystic sweet communion that we sing about. So heed the words we sang earlier. One heart, one voice. O Church of Christ, rejoice. Let us pray. Indeed, Father, hallelujah for the Lord God reigns. Father, fill us with hope as your people. Father, fill us with joy. Father, somebody here that doesn't yet know Jesus, doesn't know that joy today, Father, show them your Son. Crucified, Father, lifted up. Father, resurrected and alive and reigning, we pray. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.